VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. You are listening to the 23 Personnel Podcast, where food and sports clash at the goal line. Here are your hosts, Spencer and Michael. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the 23 Personal Podcast. I'm your host, Spencer, joined by Michael. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode. What, what are we on now? 205. 205. Oof. Or maybe it's 204. It's, yeah, it's up there. 204. How you doing, man? Man, I'm good. My my week's been a little off. Samantha was out of town, got back in last night, and it was just me and the oldest, just kind of bachelor, bachelor pad for the weekend. Um, it's it's been good, man. What about you? Ah, uh, yeah, it's good. I had a Amarillo trip just for something to do, some kind of get out of the weekend or get out of town. We went to Amarillo, the the three of us this past weekend and I'll share a little bit about the sites there that we saw, but uh, namely we went to the big Texan. So I, w- I wanted to talk about how that went. Cause I'd never been to that tourist cornucopia before. And it, it is something. Did you, uh, did you partake in the challenge? No. And no one did while I was there. Hmm. Too bad. I know. If, I, um, if they didn't put you in a table in front of everybody, I would be more likely to do it. If, if you just kind of got to eat it in the back corner. Let me try this over here. In piece of yeah, yeah. Someone, someone just start a stopwatch and just leave me alone for 55 minutes and then come back and check on me or something. Anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. So we, uh, we're looking forward to some basketball chatter this evening. Got another transfer to mention, talk about. Got some rumors about a big man target, maybe. Uh, an update on Chandler Jacobs. And then we got some baseball to talk about. Last home or last series of the weekend, not of the weekend, of the season, is this upcoming weekend hosting the Kansas Jayhawks after, I, I would say, unfortunately, Winning two of three in Norman. Uh, yeah. I, I think you, you have the opportunity and you, your expectations to win all three there. Uh, and you drop the first one in extras on a wild pitch. It's wild. Yeah. Um, our, 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 our friend Rob bro gives us some additional teams to root for and or against. This upcoming weekend to help Texas Tech and their seeding possibilities sliding up into a uh, super regional host discussion. And then um, some more hope coming out for football. Maybe. Maybe. Somehow. <laughs> Always in on the question mark. Um, as always, you guys can follow us, the show on Twitter at 23 personnel. You can follow me, Spencer at punts sock and Michael at Michael underscore LBK. And also on Instagram, 23 personnel podcast. And one more social media 
channel to follow is us on the locker room app. It is the live audio only sports talk platform. Of course, it's free to download and to use. You can talk to me, Michael, other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time. And it's not just something that the Twin Three Personal Podcast or other podcasts on the Sports Drink Network are using. There are many teams, many shows, many things to get involved in there. It's perfect for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, and reacting to breaking news. Start or join ongoing conversations, watch games together, react to the biggest news, rumors, and games. Join in on conversations with me and have a chance to be featured on our show. All you need to do is download the Locker Room app for free. It's in both app stores, confirmed last week, at least in beta for Android. Create your profile, link your Twitter, and join the group. Follow us. Uh, you can follow me, Spencer, 23Personnel, and we'll be going live probably this fall. So check out the Locker Room app. While you're checking out other cool things to listen to, do, do you like sports, culture, takes, take line? Has it all. Takeline is a weekly podcast hosted by Emmy winner Jason Concepcion and former WNBA champ Renee Montgomery. That's a fast-paced exploration of the NBA and world of sports and culture. I bet there are not very many Emmy winners hosting a podcast. Anyway, each week, Jason and Renee talk about the games, players, controversies, and issues that run both on and off the court. Follow now to hear Takeline every Tuesday wherever you get your pods that's take line check out that podcast guys and quick sidebar to nba my spurs they lost their play in game tonight uh tip of the tip of the hat because they only lost by 4 and we're down by 21 in the first quarter ooh so uh it's bounced back. back yeah and this this marks the second game i've gotten to watch all season because i don't have ballet sports through Hulu. So they were 10th, which means they lost tonight and they're done. Yes, they are done. If they'd have won tonight, they would have played <laughs> the loser of LA and Golden State, I believe. Which, talking about like it's a change of fortunes here, you know, just a, a couple years removed, like those two teams you'd think like are one and two in the West. <laughs> they're seven and eight. Right. Well, and I know that uh, the Warriors. I believe Clay Thompson went down right at the beginning of the season. So they've, they've been just kind of, and then I think last year Steph was out almost all season and I may be completely wrong on those, but I feel like they've had two full years of one or two of their star guys just completely out of the picture. And I think Durant was out one of the last seasons he was there as well. Anyway, just, yeah, it's been a, just a lot of just injuries. A tough go. Yeah. Um, Mavericks are fifth and will play the Clippers on Saturday, I believe. Shows how oh, much I pay you. attention. Good for you. Great. And I only bring that up one because you brought up the, the playoff basketball, um, but because the, the Mavericks are in the, in the playoffs for the first time, which feels like in several, several years. And I, I, I get there like seventh or eighth last year, but Luca magic, bro. Luca Don Thick. <laughs> Am I right? Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. You went there. <laughs> you you guys, you guys didn't see the uh the massive eye roll I just got from Michael there. You, you probably hear it though. Um with that though, let's let's continue talking basketball. Let's get to Texas Tech hoops. 
As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Mooney with a crossover and the lob to Owens. Now the shot clock is at three. Mooney spins, fires. Oh, he got it to go. Edwards with a three. Good. What a shot, Kyler Edwards. Ready, double into three. Going to put it down. Already. Odiasi. Throw bars it in. Shot clock down to five. Got the screen. Here's a three. Right, Mark Adams continuing to hit that transfer market secures the commitment from Florida State transfer Sadar Calhoun, 6'6 to 20. Combo guard, probably guard, or or Michael, as uh, mm-hmm. the trend is heading, there is no position in basketball unless you're uh, seven feet tall. Everything yeah, else is uh, the same. It's all the it's same. It's all positionless. Yeah. Everybody can play anything. That's that's why it was always good to see them switch and have McClung guarding uh, you know, one of the big guys at, in Texas or something. That's always, <laughs> it's it's always like a good a f- mis- mix, mismatch. A foot height advantage. But uh Calhoun originally played in at Missouri University West Plains and was a JUCO All American. Averaged just about 19 points a game, just under five rebounds, and was the number three Juco player coming out uh, before heading to Tallahassee. In his first year at Florida State, Calhoun averaged only five points, but shot 42% from the field, 40% from three. Um, so, obviously, he took advantage of his his opportunities there. Um Unless there's a, unless that's a typo, unless there's a number missing there. Um, he's, he's one of those guys. If, if you watch his highlights and of course it's, it's highlights. Um, super active on the defensive side, which you like to see. Oh, yeah. He turns those into points. Uh, there's lots of times when he goes, 
and intercepts passes or creates a turnover. And then, like I said, runs out, converts that into points. And it's just, that's the kind of thing that I think you can kind of start to piece together from what Peary and Adams have stated they want to do. Um, Calhoun seems to be like just another piece that does both of those things really well. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not worried about all the six, six guys, Michael, are you not, not too bad Uh, you know, watching him play, it was, I actually didn't look at how tall he was until I watched the highlight videos and I could have sworn he was six, three or four. I don't know what this means. I don't know if that means a thing at all, but I, it might just say something to how quick he is and, uh, you know, just how he's always, like you said, he's always moving and he's always in kind of a stance and a position. It just didn't, it struck me. It surprised me that he was six, six. I just figured he was a, a few inches shorter than that. So that obviously is an advantage. And I wonder if sometimes it seems that he's not that tall on the court until someone's trying to make a pass his direction. And he's, and he's deciding, Oh no, I got that. Yeah, that's mine now. Uh, really impressed with his athleticism, and you know, I'm. It's we we got a lot of wings, man, and I'm I'm cool with it. It seems to be where things are headed to an extent, but I'm also very cool with the fact that uh, Twitter account TTU Hoops fans, who we who we believe has has a little bit in the know here, has reported not reported but shown that uh, that Tech is interested, at least, in EJ Onu, who is a 6'11 center. I'm interested. I'm interested, too. <laughs> and <laughs> Those he two numbers. is, I don't know, kind of a Zach Smith kind of guy. He's, he's trim, and he's, he's not, you know, super bulked. He's just, but he's got a nice floater. He's got a nice fadeaway. I... I don't know. He's, it seems like he would be a great fit in this type of offense. And I, I'm pretty excited about that. But as, as we get into positionless basketball, which I keep hearing is the thing that big 12 is doing. Although there were so many tall guys in Kansas and, you know, I don't know if you've heard of Derek Culver. He was pretty tall and pretty good. Um, there were at least three guys, almost seven foot in Austin. So, Despite that, uh, if, if we're going to positionless, then sure, let's let's go for it. But I still think there's got to be at least one other big man to to come in um, when you want to have when you want to get Silva a breather and yeah, or I mean, not rotate McCullough in the five or something like that. <laughs> um, I would certainly hope for two players at six ten and above. Um. And and while we talk about like positionless basketball, it seems like it's not typically positionless. You, at least in my in my eye, I see three positions: you have a guard, and you have a big, and then you have everyone else, right? Um, looking at the the roster eligibility chart, um, you've got seven players that are six six or six seven. Yeah, and then you've got a handful of guards. That range between five eleven and six four. Um, we did see that Mac McClung 
uh, did come out and officially say that he will sign with an agent and pursue professional basketball, which would then make him ineligible to return to college. So uh, that was kind of the, the thought process when we heard uh, that he wasn't going to be able to transfer anywhere when he said it's Texas Tech or, or, or the NBA. Um, so we wish Mac the best of luck in his pursuit of playing professionally. We may not ever hear about TJ Shannon until until the draft or until uh, July, but that technically is still on the board, on the table. And then one more thing that I heard today, we, we, we talked, talked about it last week, that Chandler Jacobs, the transfer from Dallas Baptist, may be looking elsewhere. Um, I heard today from somebody that should know. He's like, no, it's not really the case. Oh, um, breaking? Is this breaking? No. Oh, okay. We don't break news on a on a weekly podcast, Michael. <laughs> okay. Or on our, our Twitter account. But um, yeah, like w- when we talked about it, it was like, well, w- why would he be concerned about playing time? Like, we don't know how it's all going to work out. And that's basically the the argument I, I heard today was like, well, there's nothing to worry about because there's nothing set yet. You don't know your role, so you don't know how much, how many minutes you're going to play. You don't know what the coaching staff is going to put emphasis on like, do they want defense first? They want scores first. Do they want uh tenure in the program, which is going to be difficult when you got like 10 guys here that are brand new red Raiders. Um, so I would say it's probably a little more likely he stays than goes. But as much as we talked about last week, Chandler Jacobs is not a for sure thing gone from the program. Uh, and may actually end up playing for the red and black this, this fall. Well, that'd be good. I mean, you, you want to keep the guys that you've recruited obviously. And, and, uh, anyone leaving after making a commit, especially with a new staff, it's going to kind of raise some question marks and some red flags and other things that you don't really want to think about or get into. So keeping the guys that you, brought on obviously that's ideal that's what you want to do and speaking of guys that stayed there's a great article on texastech.exposure.co about kevin mcculler i've got the link to it in our in our um show notes if anybody wants to go check it out but it kind of gets into you know his thought process of dealing with chris beard leaving and and I mean, just everything, his injury to start the season of, you know, how he got to tech in the first place, getting to be a part of that really special team that went to the national championship. Uh, so he's, he seems like he's very diligent and ready to go and really committed to tech. But one of the main things I wanted to point out is what he said uh, about playing for coach Adams He said, as soon as he got the job, I knew I was coming back, McCuller says. And we can verify that because I think it was within minutes that Adams was announced that McCuller tweeted his his response saying that, you know, he's coming back. And he he goes on to say about, about Coach, he says, Coach Adams always has a plan. I'm excited for him to have this opportunity and for me to be a big part of it. We are all going to work our butts off and compete every day for him. We were ready to send a statement that Texas Tech basketball isn't going anywhere. And it's it's mutual because Adams uh, 
had quite a bit of praise from a color throughout here in what I think are recent quotes. But what's really cool is a tweet from July of last year. Randomly, Coach Adams just, I don't know what prompted it or what. Maybe it was just a great day in practice, but he did tweet and and tagged Ke- uh, McCullough's Twitter account and said, at Kevin McCullough has the ability to lead our team as a sophomore on the defensive end with his high IQ and defensive instincts. Just kind of a tweet out of nowhere from Coach Adams. Mm. <laughs> so he just felt led to say that, and he had a lot of great things to say about him too, uh, calling him the rock of the program, saying that they needed him to come back. He's, uh, you know, with his strong year he had last year, just bragging about him big time, and rightfully so, because McCuller is kind of your every guy, every he, – he plays both sides of the ball well and uh you know rebounds well and and just you know just kind of all the small things that add up to be big things when you do them as well as he does so i just kind of wanted to share that and and if if y'all want to dig up that article it's it's a good fun read and it's just a it's a really well done presentation of an article just the the images they used and just the format they they used on the website i just think it'll be a pleasure to just observe <laughs> as you scroll through. So this may just be me. I I've never, never visited this Texas tech.exposure.co site before, but when you go uh, check out and read that article written by Wes Bloomquist, who is a SID at Texas tech for basketball and men's golf. Um, if you go up and hit categories, They've got stories and photo galleries from other sports, including baseball, football, obviously basketball, soccer, softball, tennis, track and field, university, volleyball, and women's basketball. Um, so it's all really yeah. well put together. It, you can spend probably hours here. Look, at, I, I clicked on baseball is going through. They, the latest one they had was against, it was the game against Oklahoma and Amarillo. It's more like a, a visual um, story timeline, basically, of, of, of images going from when they arrive and all that kind of stuff through the game. It's just, it's fascinating. Yeah, it's a, it's a really great put together website. And I'm sorry I'm so late on the game on this, but there's so many cool articles in here. Just recently, uh, it, there's one for DeMarcus Fields talking about him graduating and how important that is to him. Um, once again, great photos, great imagery to go with it. So check it out guys. And we may start digging into this a little bit more each week because it's just a, it's a really cool site and you can tell that they're working really hard on, um, making these more than just articles, making them, you know, kind of artful presentations on top of informative and, and well-written articles. Yeah. So texastech.exposure.co, go up to categories and then start with your favorite sport, but check them, check them all. There's, there's lots of uh, stories under those sports. Uh, Michael mentioned football. They, they have game stories in there. They've got uh, in my words features where they, they look at uh, certain players. Um, fall camp, grad transfers, that kind of stuff. So check it out, man, everybody. 
with that, Michael, let's uh, let's jump over to baseball. Alrighty. You know, I've probably said this as many times as I talk about the the football highlights there. Uh, I can't wait to, to update that with a, a run this summer. Oh, yeah, I know. That'll, um, and, and we're going to talk about that a little bit in text chances of hosting a super regional are in the balance. It's coming down to the wire. Um, looks like they would go to Mississippi State. I think if they got it out of the regional this year, which of course they will host a regional, but anyway, probably would, would love to have some, some new highlights to add as always for all sports. Yeah. So this weekend you took two of three from the Sooners and Norman, you moved to 33 and 12, 12 and nine in big 12 remain their third in the conference have an opportunity although an outside shot at overtaking Texas in second place, you would need to sweep Kansas. Texas would need to be sweeped, swept, and then sweeped. you sweeped. And then you would hold the tiebreaker over Texas to jump them. Um, but TCU is looking like they're going to win the regular season. If they haven't already wrapped it up, I, I don't know their schedules. I couldn't tell you what's, what's there. But when you mentioned Texas Tech hosting, we did see uh, late last week, Texas Tech and Lubbock were announced as one of the 20 finalists as host sites that will then be whittled down to 16, uh, I believe this Sunday or next Sunday. It's coming up real, uh, pretty quickly when they will um, one announce the, the 16 host sites and then in order, obviously, one through eight would then host supers um but rankings wise as much as we talked about like texas tech being on like the outside looking in they are in a great spot heading into this final weekend of games versus kansas in terms of rankings d1 baseball has them at five baseball america at seven the national college baseball writers association has them at four collegiate baseball actually dropped them this weekend to 10th the coaches poll has met five and the RPI continues to rise and went up to number seven, which is important because that's one of the bigger factors in uh, looking at the national scene. It's not the only thing, but when you talk about RPI, 
being top eight is obviously a big deal when you're trying to be hosting a super. Currently at seven, uh, we've talked about Kansas this weekend. They're 29 and 24, seven and 14. A great opportunity to uh, finish out this season winning three. But this past weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you lost Friday night with Patrick Monteverdi as your starter. Again, didn't have a great start. Um, and maybe it was just more of like dealing with the, the Oklahoma offense or whatever it was. But he went four and a third, gave up eight hits, seven runs, all seven earned, three walks, eight strikeouts. Kurt Wilson came into pitch. Still like to see that. He went two thirds of an inning. Brendan Gurton for a third. And then Sublette came in for the final three innings. And he's the one that gets saddled with the loss there. Gave up only one hit, one run, seven strikeouts for nine outs, but had the two wild pitches. Um, Oklahoma went with their closer as their starter. Which you're like, okay, he'll be in and out pretty quickly. No, he went six full innings and threw 125 pitches. Good. That's some work. Yeah, that, that's, that's, that's a lot of pitches for a closer. Uh, gave up five hits, seven runs, seven earned, two walks, nine strikeouts. Um, you started off the scoring in the first with a grand slam. You end up hitting three grand slams on the weekend two in one game. Um, Cody Mas- Cody Masters, like I said, hit a grand slam in the first. Jace Young homered in the third. Stillwell homered in the sixth. Conley homered in the eighth. Every run you scored was on a homer. Home run on Friday night. Four in the first, one in the third, two in the sixth, one in the eighth. But like I said, it went to extras and... Mitchell ends up scoring on a wild pitch to go 9-8 Oklahoma to game one. Um, what was worrisome about that was like, well, if we're going to, if we're going to win five of six games, losing the first of those six, like, well, now we got to <laughs> win five in a row. Right. Um, Red Raiders came back on Saturday and was like, Hey, Oklahoma, screw you guys. Put up 15 runs on the Sooners. One in the first, one in the second, six in the third, one in the fifth. They had a 9-0 lead before Oklahoma scored their first run in the fifth. Um, then it was 9-1 till the seventh. Texas Tech put up six more. 15-1. Oklahoma responds in the bottom of the seventh with just one. And that's your final, 15-2. Micah Dallas gets the start, gets the win. Um, it says Connor queen gets, gets the save, but you don't, you're not save eligible with a 13 run lead. Let's just put it that way. Um, you did have several home runs. This was a, uh, the home run weekend. They, they, big time. They were tracking the stats on the weekend. Texas tech hit 12, I believe 12 home runs. They had what? Four. The first game they played OU, the Don Con game. Yeah. Um, then you had three in the second game on Saturday. I think you ended up having 
just about as many home runs as Oklahoma had runs total. And obviously and that's, what makes, that's what makes Friday so frustrating is because it definitely looked like a team that had not played in 10 days. Yeah. To, to go out there and lose in the way they did only really able to score. If someone hits it out of the park, just Monteverdi with what? Seven. I think you said seven earned runs. Yeah. I mean, just on just eight a hits. Rough, yeah. Yeah. Just a rough, rough day. Micah Dallas comes back, uh, six hits and six innings gives up only one run, three walks, eight strikeouts. Connor queen goes three, three hits, one run, no walks, two strikeouts on Saturday. And then you wrap up the series. Uh, you win the series in run rule fashion. That's always fun on Sunday with a 13 to two victory. So what's that? That's 28. You scored 36 runs on the weekend to Oklahoma's 13. 14, I think. You tripled them up, basically. No, it's 13. It's 13, yeah. Um, Mason Montgomery gets the start and the win. Uh, Montgomery went five innings, gave up six hits, one run, two walks, six strikeouts. Chase Hampton comes in and closes it down. Two innings, three hits, one run, one, sorry, two walks, no strikeouts. What's interesting, though, why I bring that up, uh, this upcoming weekend, Mason Montgomery is not starting but Chase Hampton is. Oh, that is interesting. You've got Monteverdi going on Thursday. Cause it's a Thursday, Friday, Saturday series. Micah Dallas going Friday, Chase Hampton starting on Saturday, but the Sunday game versus Oklahoma got started off with a two run home run from Braxton Fulford. Jace young, uh, Hits a three-run home run in the second. And then Stillwell follows that up with a solo shot in the second. So you get six runs there in the second, all off of home runs. You come back in the fourth. Easton Morrell hits a two-run shot. Conley in the fourth hit, hits a three-run shot. <laughs> um, you score... A run not on a home run here. Uh, Cody Masters scores on a wild pitch in the sixth. Um, and then Dylan Carter doubles and knocks in Braxton Fulford to get your 13 to one. Then you hold them, hold the Sooners in the seventh to just one run, 13 to two to finish out the 10 plus run run rule, 13 to two. The official so they, attendance on this game, Michael, I don't know if you saw it, 480. The official what? Attendance. Oh, wow. Now, I, I know they were, Oklahoma has been at reduced capacity, but like, that's not even 10%. Yeah, it'd probably leave a bad taste in your mouth the day before. Um, and then, of course, you get there and then give up five home runs to five different players. <laughs> Rough day. Yeah. Weather yeah. was kind of weird there too. Maybe people weren't sure what the weather was going to do, Spencer, and that's all it was. Well, because we did, we did talk about that last week that we were talking about possibly moving the game uh, from Saturday to have a doubleheader on Saturday, from Sunday to doubleheader on Saturday. 
Uh, it's not what happened. Um, they did have to delay Sunday's game, though. I think it's two hours. hours. Yeah. Uh, so you had five home runs on Sunday, three on Saturday, and that's eight total. Sorry, I'm waiting for this page to load. At least four. Yeah, you had four home runs on Friday. So 12 home runs on the weekend. 16 total going back to the last time you played them in Amarillo. Um, you had a pretty good... 16 w- home runs in Tech's last four games. Yeah, pretty good offensive showing. You want to keep that going as you come home to face Kansas to finish out your season, go strong into the Big 12 tournament. Before we preview that, though, this weekend's series. Guys, you need to know that this week has tons of sports action as the MLB. I was watching the Rangers a few minutes ago. NBA, NBA playoffs are in full swing. NHL, all going on. Get get in on, sorry, get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including the MLB, NBA, NHL, and all of your UFC MMA action. MMA action. Can't spit out all those letters, Michael. <laughs> Before the next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sports news, sign up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore, as this is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the playoffs. Bet Online, your online sports book experts. We all know that if you're listening to this, you work hard and play hard. So treat yourself and stock up for summer barbecues with. Kansas City Steak Company. Visit KansasCitySteaks.com and get 10% off your order and free shipping with code SD at checkout. From classic steak cuts to USDA Prime to American-style Kobe, hard-to-find specialty cuts, and more, Kansas City Steaks has everything you need to fire up the grill. They make it so easy. Each order from Kansas City Steaks is flash-frozen and delivered directly to your home. Satisfaction guaranteed or your money back. Imagine... Relaxing in the backyard with family while enjoying steakhouse quality meals from Kansas City Steaks. Try their butter tender filet mignon, Kansas City strips, juicy steak burgers, all beef jumbo dogs, and even complete meal combos. Bring the steakhouse to your house this summer with Kansas City Steaks. Go to KansasCitySteaks.com and get 10% off your order free shipping with code SD at checkout. That's KansasCitySteaks.com, code SD, KansasCitySteaks.com. Code SD. Almost made it. Did pretty good till that to the end there. So I'm gonna save it for a little piece of what we learned. Oh, okay. But I do have uh, I do have some a dish, two dishes on the smoker this week I want to talk about. Oh, I want to talk so about them too. Kansas City Steaks got me thinking about the smoker. So this weekend hosting Kansas, we've talked about it and, um, and we'll talk about not looking, not overlooking your opponents because man, Dodgers, my Dodgers felt that in the worst way this weekend, Kansas is coming into town. Um, like we mentioned a little earlier, they are 29, 24, seven and 14 in conference play. They, as a team, bat 262. They have scored 286 runs, which is 
eighth in the conference. Only team to score fewer runs is West Virginia. Uh, Texas Tech has scored 424 runs. Oklahoma, the team we just talked about not putting up a lot of runs, has the most in the conference currently at 504. Um, Texas Tech has hit nay clobbered 76 home runs on the season. Unfortunately, that's, that's only good for second in the conference behind Kansas State. Kansas, though, last in the conference, 26 home runs. They are not a power hitting team. Uh, as you can see from their slugging percentage at 380 versus Texas Tech's 513, which is best in the conference. Goodness. Um, they don't walk as much as Texas Tech. Um, they strike out fewer times than Texas Tech, but offensively, Texas Tech holds holds those um, advantages there. Obviously, you're going to be playing at home, so that's going to help out just a little bit more. As a team, Kansas has a team uh, ERA of 538. Also good for eighth in the conference. Only team they're better than there is Oklahoma. It was at 580. You saw what you did to Oklahoma pitching this weekend. Um, let's see. They, as a pitching staff, have surrendered... 69, nope, that's Oklahoma, 43 home runs. That is just about dead last besides Oklahoma, 69. Opponent batting average, 274, which is the highest. So maybe they don't give up the the most amount of home runs, but they give up a lot of contact. Mm -hmm. Whereas Texas Tech's opponent batting average is 241. Is lower. one to it's fourth in the conference. Um, fielding though, they're not they're not terrible. Nine seventy five. Texas Tech is nine seventy four. Uh, they've committed five more errors on the season than Texas Tech has, but they've attempted more plays in the field. Um, they've turned fewer double plays, which is. If you're letting people get on base, you have more opportunities to turn to double plays. They're not doing it. So, um, generally, you hold a pretty significant advantage over the Jayhawks this weekend. But you play three games for a reason. Got to focus. They're, they're all three pretty important this week. Yeah, we talked about a little earlier what you needed to do um, to better your positioning to host. Rob Bro gives you another thing to be concerned about hosting. And he looks at five schools that Texas Tech should be rooting for this weekend. Um, let me see. Yeah, head over to kkm.com and check out Rob's writing. He's, he's basing Tech's projection as a nine seed off of D1 baseball. D1 baseball went through and did a 64 a field of 64 projection and that included tech as the nine seed in their rankings. And uh, within their post, they mentioned that selection Monday actually is 
I believe Memorial Day. So I think it's it's going to be in not quite two weeks. So there's still chance to, you know, redeem yourself through the the final series, um, possibly even the Big Twelve tournament, if that's going to be taken into account too much. Who knows? That that seems like genuine. Generally, with those type of things. If you're already one of the top teams, it doesn't really help you much. But if you're kind of an on-the-bubble team, it could. Uh, but yeah, Rob's got a great breakdown here of just kind of who to root for. The, um, well, you know, he, he gives you teams who not to root, to root for as yeah. well. <laughs> um, you're really rooting for these teams' opponents. Uh, I, I mean, there's, there's one team he's like, you, you can root for this team. Um, Mississippi State is slated... Uh, Interestingly enough, right ahead of you in terms of RPI, um, they play Alabama this upcoming weekend. Um, so rooting for Alabama could help uh, Texas Tech slide up a little bit. What does help though is you've got a couple more teams that are also ahead of Texas Tech, but they play each other. Like Tennessee and South Carolina are both listed ahead of Texas Tech, but they play each other this weekend. Um, the problem with that it's not just a simple, you know, record over the weekend that RPI looks at. Uh, it considers strength of schedule. So losing to a top team isn't as detrimental um, as just a straight up record would indicate. The one interesting piece about all this though, Notre Dame uh, Rob looks at it and says they don't have the resume for a top eight national seed, but yet they're slated at sixth. Um, they have, they even have fewer games played on their schedule. So, um, there's an opportunity there for, you know, Notre Dame to be kind of hammered there a little bit for not playing the, the same schedule. Uh, they're 12th in RPI and have a strength of schedule ranked at 55th. So. Yeah. Not sure. His, his theory behind them being, projected to be a six seed could possibly be just to get someone not in the sec pac 12 or big 12 uh and that notre dame is i guess a brand basically uh one thing he did include is a photo and y'all know i'm not a huge college baseball aficionado but this is the first time i've seen the irish and i'll be damned if they don't have gold baseball helmets and they're beautiful. I, I'm completely, I, I think it's great. And I'm not, I mean, I don't know why I'm surprised. I, I'm not. It's one of those things where I looked at it and went, well, of course they have gold baseball helmets. And they are pieces of, of art going over these guys' heads. So congratulations, Notre Dame. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's why they're the 60. They're getting the gold helmet bump. Yeah, maybe. I'm, I can live with that. So imagine their, their football uniforms, white pants, Navy shirts, gold helmets, except the, the baseball has the Navy numbers and the green jersey tops, at least in this photo. Solid. Um, not a big fan of the gold. I, I didn't like it when, when, oh, when Baylor did it. And I know Notre Dame's more known for it. So like they, they get more of a slide for it. But yeah, I'm not a fan. Um, and then two more. I guess three more Oregon and Arizona. They both have six games left on their schedule. Um, the interesting thing about this year is you have so many teams from the same conferences up for hosting 
bids. You've got um, five or six in the SEC. You've got at least three in the Big 12. Um, you've got these two in the Pac-12. But they, you know, historically have had multiple. Um, Oregon and Arizona don't play each other, but they do have a bunch of games left. So more opportunity to falter just there. And then obviously you want to root against your conference foe, TCU. Um, yeah, the reasoning there is just their TCU, right? Or was there more to it? Well, right. I mean, he, he says you're already <laughs> rooting against TCU. Um, they're going to win the Big 12 regular season. This is what Rob's saying. It, it's my opinion, though, that they have the third best tournament resume behind Texas and Texas Tech. Longhorns are locked in top four seed with the final series against West Virginia. TCU closes out against Kansas State after dropping two of three to UL Monroe. Um, if TCU finishes with series losses to UL Monroe and Kansas State, the committee will be more apt to look past the Big 12. Regular season trophy and slot Texas Tech in as a national seed. So, got that. Those handful of teams to, to keep on your radar this weekend. Um, really, though, for me, in my mind, just got to worry about Texas Tech one game at a time, right? That's right. One game at a time. Got to wire the tree. Be where your feet are. Be where your feet are. Um, if you can hit, we'll find a place for you to stand. <laughs> pretty sure. I'm pretty sure Tatlock said that. <laughs> or I'm just That's, making it up. I'm not even going to question it. Of course he did. That sounds just, like something he would say. Um, all right. So like I said, big, big opportunity for the baseball team this weekend, wrap up, close your regular season out against Kansas. A little disappointing this year that you're not going to win the conference. Um, but I think if you take a, a step back, look at the 30,000 foot view and realize what all you've been able to accomplish without a good portion of your team this year. No kidding. Um, Finishing third in the conference is not something to be upset about. I mean, you you missed Dylan Noisy for a large portion of your season. You had Drew Baker out for quite a while. You have like a dozen pitchers out that you were counting on, including a starter, um, a potential closer in there. Um, so it's nothing to be upset about. You just kind of wish this year had worked out a little bit better in terms of health. Um, and then looking ahead. Texas Tech has officially one senior on the roster. Uh, you're going to have a handful of guys that are going to be eligible for the draft. But the, the thing that's still helping out Texas Tech there, and I guess teams across the country with guys that are on that, that bubble-ish area of looking at draft or returning, um, the MLB draft this summer, it's going to be a little bit later. It's not going to be in the middle of the regionals, which is always a distraction. Um, it will be not as reduced as it was last year. I think it was five rounds last year. I think it's getting bumped up to 10 rounds or 20. I don't even think it's set yet. So you still have an opportunity to retain guys like a Patrick Monteverdi um, and guys that are draft eligible. Like you could go or come back and play for us one more year and reload, which I'm all about. So decisions, you got to make some decisions, fellas. Um, with that, Michael, I say, let's jump over and 
spend a few minutes talking about some football. Okay. Football has a little more hope and optimism heading into this this season, this fall. Um, over on Stacking the Plains, Seth, um, he found this article that says Texas Tech has an 88% chance of making a bowl game. 88% is awfully high. Michael, I know you, you said that earlier, especially how we felt this past Oof. season went. Um, and then we kind of were like, well, like you were close on a lot of things and like you felt those losses. Some were, were bad decisions. Just leave it there. Some were just like you were right there uh, and couldn't close it out. Texas looking at you. Um, so you, you, you can see what you can find areas to be confident in that uh, there will be some improvement, but 88%, man, that feels awfully high. I agree. And if you look at it, if you look at it this way, that puts tech at sixth in the conference, which I have not seen a soul pick tech as sixth in the conference. It's usually eight, nine, or ten, maybe not ten, eight or nine is is what I've seen. I don't know if I've even seen a seven. Um, but but yeah, what what Seth dug up is twenty four seven sports Kevin Flaherty. <laughs> that was a fantastic Scottish accent, by the way. <laughs> he, uh, he, he looked into ESPN's FPI, the football power index and came up with these numbers. Of course, I'm going to start at the bottom, but there's a significant jump pretty quickly. Kansas at 0.2% Baylor. Hold on. 45. Can, we just, can we just appreciate 0.2% chance to make a bowl game? Yeah, I don't, I don't know how you come up with that. Uh, Baylor, 45.3. Kansas State, only 48.3. That feels like awfully low. Like, like, yes. If I was looking at this, I'd be like, are we sure that Texas Tech and Kansas State weren't flipped there? Yes, uh, agree. Because of what you've seen with, uh, you know, the Vegas odds of winning the Big 12, Baylor and Tech had the same exact odds, only worse than Kansas. Yeah. So they essentially were tied for eighth. Yeah. Anyway, so Kansas State at there at eighth at 48%. Yes. West Virginia, 76.1. And then you get into your Red Raiders at 88%. There's really not much of, you know, you can't go much higher from there. Uh, Texas is 90.2. TCU, 90.3. Oklahoma State, 95.9. Iowa State, 99.9. And Oklahoma, they just... <laughs> 
Yeah, 100%. 100%. There's no way they lose six games, what they're saying. Right. Or Um, seven games. Just a very interesting aspect of it. Seth did point out that for the FPI, you know, age may be an important metric. Uh, you know, Flaherty said that uh, FPI appears to buy into Texas Tech's returning players as well as their transfers. Um, and if Tyler Shuck can meet expectations after transferring in at quarterback from Oregon, he'll have plenty of talent to play catch with. Uh, you know, <laughs> there's there's some good receivers. There's some good receivers, mm-hmm. but we lost quite a few uh, as well. Uh, good running backs. Yes, definitely. Maybe he meant handoff. Um, I'm just kidding. We have a good we have a good group of receivers, but just a, it is kind of a question mark for me compared to last year. Well, and 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 the the quoted area in the second the planes article, um, Flaherty says, you know, possibly like if you're looking for something to be concerned about is with all of the influx of new faces in the program, the transfers, um team chemistry could take a while to get going, you know? Um, yes. Well, but, a new offensive coordinator, just there's, well, there's you know, that big, some big changes. And, but he said on the, on the flip side, the optimistic view, whether the tra- transfers represent a talent upgrade and if everything does mesh well, the red Raiders could take a significant step forward. Yeah. Sign and, me up and for just that. to remind you guys, I mean, I'm not here to, we're still not ready to make our official pre- predictions <laughs> yet. I'm sure that won't come out till, you know, the week before September 4th, but here's the schedule really quickly. I'm just going to run through all of them at once. So, uh, at Houston, then you host Stephen F. Austin, host Florida International, at Texas, at West Virginia, host TCU, at Kansas, host Kansas State, at OU, host Iowa State, and Oklahoma State, then traveled to Waco versus Baylor for the last game. Quick so count, there's an I was 88% like, chance that you're going to win six of those, <laughs> according to somebody. And the the barometric pressure of Spencer's optimism, I counted seven there. I was like, I'm confident in oh, seven. Oh, <laughs> Well, confident in that Tech should have a chance to win those games. Like, yes, that, they, they, yeah. they could win Iowa State. They could win Oklahoma. They could win Texas. They could win Oklahoma State. Um, they but could win they? Houston. <laughs> but I was like, okay, SFA, Florida International, Kansas, Kansas State, Baylor, TCU, West Virginia. I think you are your best shots to get in there seven right there to get to a bowl game. Did you have Houston in there or no? I did not. Houston okay, would be next that. probably. I'm like, if your season's going well, you may see that week one where you get a win against Houston, which I, I, it's weird to say, like, I think winning in Houston could give you a, a good indication. Like this could be better, a better season. So anyways, but- that's a little preview. That's it, a preview, guys. Preview. We might be a little bit more optimistic this year. I do think last year we were exactly right on how many games Tech would win. And then I think the year before, I'd have to go back to the tape. I think we, I think I underestimated 2019. Maybe so. I, I think we were a game apart, maybe. Um, 
just just so you know that we're not usually super sunshiny or or whatever. We've we've kind of pegged the last two years pretty closely, and with our expectations and and I don't care about being right. I just don't want people to think that if we come in and say eight games, it's because we've lost our minds for some reason. We just think that we're going to win eight games. <laughs> yeah, like I said, we're not gonna we're not doing it just. <laughs> For the May. heck of it, but yeah, I'm not there yet, Spencer. I'm I'm not quite there. I'm I'm in the, I'm in the I could talk myself in the five to six range right now. Seven is a stretch, but we'll see. So we'll see what that, happens. The the stretch there for me, the um, tweener games are going to be Kansas State, Baylor, TCU. Yeah, the the only good thing about Kansas State is we host West them. Virginia, maybe too. Like at that point, you're like. Well, there's four of your seven wins. Like, yeah, I, I know I'm counting SFA, <laughs> Florida International, and Kansas as your go-to wins here. And then you need to find three more. I'm um, just thinking TCU is going to be just, it's just going to be beside themselves without Sonny Cumbie. They're not going to know what to do. They're going to come to Lubbock and they're just, they're just barely going to get off the bus. Tech's going to win by 31. I just, I. Tech by double I've, digits on October 9th. I've doubted their offense for so long. And I know that we just hired their offensive coordinator that I doubted. Um, <laughs> but I'm just like, I just, I don't think they have the offense. Anyways, we're not there yet. Spencer we're on yet. May 19th says, I think you got a shot at seven. The big 12 title is what he said. That's what I heard. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, let's wrap this up and get to what we learned. What do we learn, Palmer? I don't know, sir. I don't know either. All right, so I tease at the very, not at the very beginning. Um, I found out this weekend, Michael, even six and seven-year-olds can overlook an opponent. That we, is just mind-boggling. And I don't know where they would have gotten it from because none of the coaches said, hey, we're playing the Blue Jays this, this weekend. They are last in the division. Yeah, y'all aren't gonna y'all aren't gonna put that out there. The However, <laughs> there were several kids in pregame warmups that said, "Ah, oh, coach, this is gonna be an easy game." It was like, "Come again?" Say what now? Say what? <laughs> and guess what? We lost. Uh, hate to hear it. He, and here he, you want to hear a mind-boggling stat, and I probably share this on Slack, so you already know this. But the listeners, we gave up seven runs to a team that did not hit the ball out of the infield. Just let that soak in your like seven runs to a team that did not hit to the outfield grass. Do, do you count errors? Oh, for sure. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so was it pretty bad or was it just, there, well, I don't know. <laughs> it has to be errors at that point, right? Yes. And in, in the official, stolen bases, can you steal bases in this league? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you can steal when the catcher throws the ball back to the pitcher. Like the one, they have certain areas where they like, they can't get too close to each other. They're like, um, the, like the pitcher and catcher can come to the edge of the grass and dirt for, of their respective areas. Right. So the catcher can come to the front of the plate where the dirt mm-hmm. is, where the grass meets and the pitcher can come down off the front of the mound to where the mound meets the grass. Cannot be any closer than that. And it's probably a still a good 20, 25 foot throw. Um, if the pitcher misses that, the ball's live and you, you can steal. Um, 
or if both or one or both players enters the grass, then it's alive. Like you can just send them then. Um, now teams are a lot more. I have not seen a player pitcher or catcher get into the grass and then have runners run. It's more like just a bad throw back to the pitcher and then all hell breaks loose. Um, so that, that's how you can steal a couple things that, that hurt us were the guys, our team our infield, which are all guys. Um, they just weren't focused and like paying attention or giving any, any kind of effort. So two weeks ago when we played the Astros, we came out really, really slow. It was a lot like that. Um, but it never got better this weekend. Um, there were several times when like, so this play happened several times and this is why it stick with me. They got a runner on to second. So like, they get a single and they steal second base and there'd be a runner in second, nobody on first, right? Mm-hmm. So at that point, there's no force on the runner at second. We're calling out the play. Dodgers plays at first. But what happened, the ball gets hit either to the second baseman or the shortstop and they come up firing to third base. We've uh. never taught them that. Third base, not ready for that throw. There's nobody backing up the third baseman. So... Runner from second scores that runner, the batter ends up at second or third because then the play is going back home. We still haven't gotten really good at plays at home yet. We have one game left, so I'm not really worried about it. Um, then there were a couple of just like unfortunate things. Um, the guy we had playing at second at the beginning of the year, we put him there cause his, he didn't have the strongest arm. So like, they hit the ball to you, man. You're either tagging a runner that's passing in front of you or throwing to first base. It's not that long of a throw. But he had a lot of defensive errors where like the ball would go between his feet and under his gloves. We moved him to the outfield and we moved him to third base. Understanding he's not going to be able to make that throw from third to first. I was like, but we don't have a lot of teams hitting to third base. This team hit five balls to third base. Oh, man. <laughs> like at that point, we're like, I mean, we can tell Carson to pick up the ball and throw it, but like doesn't have the arm strength. So I'm thinking about moving him back to second and putting the guy that we have at second at third, because he's got a much stronger arm and he's much better fielder. Uh, anyways, so we had that, we had a, a, a play where um, our pitcher likes to, uh, likes to drop down to his knees to make a, like a, a stop on the balls. Like you don't need to leave your feet to make a play on a ground ball in front of you. <laughs> um, he does that. And then he tries to pick up the ball that's rolling past him with his gloves. So like he's just like reaching down with the glove, trying to grab it like with tongs or something. Oh, I see. Yeah. Takes way too long. It's like, just pick it up with your bare hand, man. Um, then we had one play where there was a runner on second balls hit sharply to our shortstop. It's like, Tag your runner, right? Like this is what we're working about. Misses the tag, and we're like, okay, throw to first, throw to first, throw to first. And he just chases down this runner. He just runs him in, oh, into no. third base. We're like, he's already past you, man. <laughs> and he's got a hell of an arm. Like, as soon as he misses, if he were to turn and fire to first base, we probably still would have gotten that out. Anyways, gave up seven runs. 
And for some reason, offense, because they weren't really trying and they weren't paying attention, we only scored five runs. Well, it still was pretty close, but it's it's a frustrating way to give up seven runs all in the infield. Yeah. Well, so then we had a coaches meeting on. It's almost s- like they scouted you. Was there some guy no, like no, in, no, a, no. This team in a is cap not prepared, like a cap with people. no logo with a long <laughs> camera lens at your last practice and like, okay, we're going to hit it that third baseman. We're going yeah. for it. No, no, no. <laughs> This team, okay. like All right. at the beginning of the season, when they were, they were recruiting more head coaches, this head coach stepped up and volunteered. And I was like, and I, I hadn't volunteered to be a head coach yet. And I was like, just don't pair me with her. Don't pair me with her. Okay, fine. I'll be a head coach. So I don't get paired with her. Oh my God. And then I lose to her. And it's not because <laughs> she's a woman. Like that has nothing to do with it. In the interactions of all the meetings leading up to figuring out who's going to be a head coach. Like we, we'd met before we'd worked on the, all that other stuff. I was like, she doesn't know what the heck she's talking about. And I've, mm. I've been there before with a coach that didn't know what she was doing. And I was just like, I just, I, I, I don't want to do that. I'd rather just take the raids, baby. Well, so blue Jays picked up their second win of the season against the Dodgers, uh, effectively eliminating us from contention to make it to the city tournament, which is strange. Cause like, had we won on Saturday, we'd be eight and four. We'd still have to win this upcoming Saturday um, against the Red Sox. But right now, if we win on Saturday versus the Red Sox, we could potentially force a five-way tie for fourth place. But the tiebreaker in our league is runs allowed, and we would be fifth of those five teams. Oh yeah. For the tiebreaker. So we're just going to, so it's, it's done. You're it's just going to leave it all on the field. We, we have practice tomorrow. I want to, I want to have like half practice of doing stuff and half practice, like playing kickball or something just to make it fun. Still baseball skills, but yeah, man, um, we lost to a one and 10 team. And then they sneak up on you. They, they did sneak up on you. That's why, you, you know, Texas tech baseball, if there's any players listening right now, <laughs> don't, don't, don't That's underestimate the, the Jayhawks. Um, yeah. uh, one more thing. So we had a coaches meeting on Sunday, the day after this game to talk about all-star selections. So we, all the coaches got together to pitch three or four players. Like these guys on my team, I think are deserving to be on the all-stars team. Um, and the two first and second place head coaches select their teams at the end of the season. Well, we get there and this woman is nonstop chirping about how she won her second game and she's going to win her third game. I was like, Oh my gosh, woman, shut up. Like you did not beat us. We beat ourselves. Yes. You won a game and you play now the, the team you're tied with last in your, you know, your last game, you play the team that you're tied with last. But oh my that gosh, stinks. like hearing her talk about bit. like and how excited she was, was like, you've got to stop. <laughs> well, just think about how excited you were when, when you took your little team and y'all won two games or whatever last year. <laughs> we won four games last year. So watch your four. mouth. Okay. Okay. We went, we're okay. zero my first year, four the second. We won seven this year and pretty good trajectory. Yeah, that's going, that's quite, <laughs> it's going quite well, really. And then the other thing. We talked about food. Um, so when Samantha was out, I was like, oh, I've been craving barbecue lately. So I went to, I went to United 
uh, I was looking for the trimmed brisket point, which they will sometimes put out. Um, I think I saw that at HEB recently. What's anyway, go ahead. Funny, not really funny. Um, they had a bunch of trimmed brisket flats. I was like, well, they got to have points around here somewhere. And then they were sold out. Everybody picked them up. Uh, yeah. I wasn't going to buy a whole one. But I was like, you know what I can do though, is I know of a, a recipe for poor man's burn-ins where you take a chuck roast and then you smoke it like a brisket. Um, so I did that and I took it over to my, my brother-in-law's house in Abernathy because his wife and my wife were traveling together. Um, I was like, Hey, I've been craving barbecue. Let's do it. Um, I pulled it off. Like the recipe said to pull it off at 195 and then to sauce it and put it back on the, the smoker for, it said an hour and a half to two hours. Like it's not going to need two hours to go from 195 to 200. So I pulled off the smoker at 195. Um, I wrapped it to let it rest before I cut it. I drove up to Abernathy uh, then sliced it, sauced it, put it in the oven at 300 for like 30 more minutes. It was a little chewy. <laughs> I was like, dang it. It's because I pulled off at 195 and it didn't really get back up. Anyways. I think it's the cut of meat too. There was one well, there's time. that. Yeah. It's not one like- time I tried to, to cook a chuck roast. Uh, uh, Allison had gotten one and you know, I'd been talking about it for a long time and just thinking like, ah, you know, the briskets are so big and so expensive and she got one and boy, it just did not turn out. It was, it was dry. Mm. It was dry by the time I was done. Cause I was just doing it like a straight up brisket. I think I would have probably had a little better success if I'd had done the burn ends route like you did and gone with some sort of sauce. Um, but yeah, it, I don't know if I'll do that again because it takes just as long. Yeah, this took or almost um, just as long. And you feel like, man, I've used a lot of a lot of wood and whatnot. Well, in my case, pellets. Yeah. For <laughs> for this thing. And you're like, mm. Yeah, for this this three pound chuck roast, I think it was on the smoker at my house for four and a half or five hours to get to one ninety five. Yeah. And there was a wrap in there. Um the other thing I did is for Sunday dinner with the whole family. I found this recipe on TikTok uh, from the guy I, I, I follow on YouTube, actually, that does all, all the barbecue stuff. He did smoked mac and cheese. I was like, oh, man, I'm all over this. <laughs> so it was um, 16 ounces of a block of Velveeta. So it's like half of the big block, a pound of noodles, four cups of milk, uh, and then some seasoning. So he did salt, pepper, garlic, and some ground mustard. He put a little bit of a, some shakes of hot sauce on there. and then about a pound of grated cheese on top on the smoker at 300 or 350 for half hour, stir it back on for half hour. And then you top it with breadcrumbs and then 10, 15 minutes more until that's kind of browned over. Dude, it was fantastic leftovers. I had to put a lot more milk into it to kind of reinvigorate the cheese. Yeah. It's holding up still it's really good stuff. Did you go cast iron or did you have a, like a foil pan? No, I did. I, I bought foil pans from United. It was it, so I, I bought the chuck roast and all the stuff to make the macaroni cheese on the same day. I got a little pack of um, they're square, like nine by nine, probably three inches deep. Perfect. Um, and it was good for one pound of noodles, like all that kind of stuff, all fit in there pretty well. I, I, I made two pans of it, but um, it was so good. 
I need to try. I, I haven't done a lot of cooking like that on my smoker. I think I was kind of into it for a little bit and then I forgot. And that smoked queso from Meat Church is still oh, there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you, sh- you had a picture of that in the Slack chat the other day. That was really good. Uh, I guess I'll share what I learned with going to the Big Texan, which of course is, I've, I've never been, I've driven past it a few times, but uh, my wife and our little four-year-old, we went to Amarillo just to get out of town and kind of do something different for a weekend. And because hotels were dirt cheap for whatever reason, uh, then they were all full. I mean, I, I remember sitting in the lobby and the they were turning away two or three different people like, yeah, yeah, so we were completely booked. That's anyway. what happened to us when, when we went to Abilene a few weeks ago, a month ago, whatever it was. It was the same yeah. thing. We're like, we just want to get out of town. We went to Abilene. Mm-hmm. They were all booked. Stupid. I know. Go I know. I mean, so we were fortunate. I mean, the the prices were super cheap, but then somehow they still, still ended up all booked somehow. So they're probably kicking themselves for not having higher prices, you know, a month ago. But anyway, did that. And so the whole thing, the whole reason for going or not the whole reason for going, but we, I left work early Friday so that we could get there in time for dinner at the big Texan on Friday night. My four-year-old loved it. If you have a kid, they're going to like it. It's, it's just kind of, it's, it's quirky and different. And there's all sorts of stuff to look at that's hanging around on the, on the walls and everywhere. Um, they serve the kid's meal in a cowboy hat that you can wear and take home. (laughs) It's just, you know, it's one of those cheap cowboy hats (laughs) with a, yeah, with a star on it, like a sheriff hat. She really got a kick out of that. And then my wife and I, everything on the menu was big. It was really stereotypical. Like, good gosh, I don't think I need a 24 ounce T-bone, but, but we shared one. And, you know, I wasn't expecting a whole lot because it's kind of touristy and, you know, I was just like, this will be fun for our little one and we'll have a good time just because it's fun to go out and eat and just have a good time. But the steak was pretty darn good, man. They cooked it perfectly. It was like a, because I ordered medium because I got burned when I ordered a medium rare just not two weeks ago and it came out still mooing. And so I was like, okay, I'm (laughs) going to do medium. And, and, uh. It was, it was really great. I was really impressed with it. So, I mean, maybe I'm assuming that's a common experience there, but I don't know why. I just was thinking, ah, this will be just kind of, it'll be fine. It'll be more for the experience than the actual food, but food was pretty darn good. I, I would go back and eat another one of those steaks because they were flame grilled. You could watch them grilling. You know, they, they grill them right in front of the big tables where they do the contest. And they have... um they have balcony seating. Basically it, it, you kind of feel like you're in an old theater or something. And they set us at the top on the balcony and it goes around three sides of the room. Then there's a lot of seating down below in the bottom. So that was really kind of fun to, to be up there and then see these guys cooking. When we first got there, they were cooking like five steaks at a time. And then by the time we left six thirty or so, they were cooking like 25 steaks at a time. <laughs> Just, I mean, they were, I was like, how do you, I can, I can, I can cook a well-done steak when I'm watching two, you know, by accident. How, how can these guys cook this many at once? Anyway, it was a lot of fun. We did a couple other things too and, and had a good little weekend, but that was kind of the main highlight. The other highlight I wanted to share 
is I felt it was appropriate since I was in Amarillo. I was in the, the neighborhood of uh, the author of Hank the Cowdog. And I have never read a Hank the Cowdog book. <laughs> and here I am, almost 40 years old, thinking, you know what? I should give these a shot because I read a, a great article in Texas Monthly maybe two months ago. Uh, it doesn't, I can't remember for sure. But they have uh, – it was, it was done by Christian Wallace, who's a, one of their newer writers who I really like, who does a great job capturing West Texas. And when you see anybody in Texas Monthly capturing West Texas well, you, you tend to kind of cling to them because – Unless it's Marfa, they don't give a damn about West Texas. So this guy does a great job. He's from Andrews. He had a great interview with John R. Erickson, who is the author of Hank Cowdog books. And it just made me think, man, I've, I never read these. I never read a single one. I knew a lot of kids that read them. It wasn't ever a thing where I was like, oh, I'm too good for that. It was just, I was more into Hardy Boys. <laughs> or <laughs> and I didn't really read that much growing up, which is a shame. And something I'm trying to correct. So anyway, I started a Hank the Cowdog book there while we were on our trip. And <laughs> I'm going to finish it probably tonight or tomorrow. But man, it's just been fun. I started, the, I read after I read the Texas Monthly article, I bought the first, you know, series one on Kindle of Hank the Cowdog. And then, um, then now I've read it almost. And it's, it's just been a lot of fun to... It's just kind of like with with him living up in the panhandle, everyone kind of in this region talks like everyone I knew growing up. So it's just kind of fun to read that in a book and think, man, nine or 10 year old me would have loved this. And I hate that I, he missed out on it, but at least almost 40 year old me is going to get a little bit of redemption from it. Did you ever read any Hank the Cow Dog? Um, was that a big thing in DFW schools? <laughs> it, it was. And, and was I remember, really? yeah, yeah. And I, I probably read one or two. Uh, I couldn't tell you which ones. And I think there was one oh, there's Hardy like Boys. of them. So, yeah. Um, and the one I remember specifically is because it was like based in Mesquite, which is my hometown. I was like, well, I have oh. to read that one. Um, well, yeah. And it was like, it was around this mansion that was still, it's still there in Mesquite. And actually it's around where. Uh, there's a junior college that's next to that mansion now. Um, and it's where I went to school. Well, I took some classes following my freshman year at Texas tech before I went on my, uh, my religious service, uh, to Germany. I took some classes there while I was working to, to pay for everything. Um, so yeah, I, I read a book that was based in Mesquite. I was like, this is awesome. I don't know anything about it, but like, it's based in my hometown. Let's do it. Yeah, let's read it. <laughs> and th so there's also, um, there's an author like that, uh, that went to school with my mom. Uh, he's, he's a, a pretty, I'm, I'd say well-known, but uh, he's well-known in, in that circle, obviously. But, um, he's got several really good books based in my mom's hometown, uh, that I'm pretty familiar with. I haven't gone to go visit my grandparents all those years. So like those books are also kind of fun to read. Cause like, the story is fictional, but the location is real. Like there's nothing changed about the location. He's going to the cemetery that is in the city. 
Like he's describing mm-hmm. statues and whatever it's like that you can actually go see. He's talking about houses and mansions and stuff that you can go see. The story's fake, but landmarks are all real. So it's like, it's really kind of cool. Uh, engaging if you know the landscape, like, oh man, I'm actually right down the road from that hotel he's talking about. Yes. Or yes. That, that does bring a whole different feel to it. If, and, and that's why I like Larry McMurtry books so much is because they kind of take place. A lot of them take place in the Yano or at least, you know. Uh, his Lonesome Dove series, a lot of it takes place on the Yano kind of coming out this way. Um, and then his Last Picture Show series takes place in a fictional town, I believe. I think he called it Archer City, which didn't really exist. I'm gonna, I'm totally missing this up. Maybe Archer City is the city he named after. Anyway, but he talks about Seymour. Uh, mm. They go to Wichita Falls. That's the big town nearby. I think he mentions Alney and in, in the, I mean, you know, just that whole kind of North Texas area around Wichita Falls. If you're familiar with that, then all those books kind of resonate too. So yeah, I'm totally with you. If, if, um, cause w- one of the bummers of this weekend, we had figured out coming back Sunday morning, we were going to go, they had like a little half mile hike at Paladero or a half mile trail. You know, they have a ton of trails, but we were obviously with a four year old. We're not going to go do anything too crazy. So we wanted something that we could go do and just kind of have a little picnic and hang out. And I was really excited about it because I'd never been to Paladero. I've lived, I don't know how, you know, almost 20 years in this area and I've never actually been and we get there and all the trails are closed due to weather. And that was Sunday morning and it wasn't raining. Nothing was, I don't know. But we just didn't really question it and had to leave because there was nothing else that we wanted to do. Uh, but I was kind of bummed because of all those Larry McMurtry books I'd read where, I th- you know, I think it was Comanche Moon and possibly Dead Man's Walk. I feel like they they came to the Paladero Canyon at some point and uh, were trying to like dodge a wildfire at one point. I think horses were trying to, ch- I mean, it was just this vivid imagery of the Paladero. And I was like, Oh man, I just, I need to get my eyes on this thing. And I didn't get to, but m- maybe another time go back to the big text and get another T-bone. Yeah. So I've never been to Amarillo. I want, I want to go to Paladero. Uh, I think the, touristy trap of big Texan would still probably draw us in. Oh yeah. Gift shop. Go for it. Yeah. Do it all. So the author I was thinking of, uh, his name is Greg Isles. Okay. Uh, like I said, like went to high school with my mom. Like she knows this guy. Uh, he has 16 books all based around th- th- their hometown of Natchez, Mississippi. Wow. Num- that's really cool. Number one, New York times bestselling author, man. So, Anyways, Greg Isles. So, yeah, man, uh, that'll do it for us on the 23 Personnel Podcast. We've got one more game for the Dodgers, one more series for the Red Raider baseball team. We'll be back next week to talk about Big 12 Tournament, maybe some more basketball roster news. Um, Probably not football news, but who knows? For Michael, I'm Spencer. We'll catch you next time.
Thank you for listening to the 23 Personnel Podcast and sharing our fandom for the Texas Tech Red Raiders. You can connect with us on Twitter at 23Personnel, Spencer at PuntSuck, and Michael at Michael underscore LBK. And find even more great content over on stakingtheplanes.com. Help us out by rating the show and leaving a review on iTunes and subscribe on whatever channel you listen to podcasts. Remember to tell your friends about the show. The guys will be back next week with another episode. And until then, guns up and let the tortillas fly.